who talks about you know personal responsibility and and your ability to choose and how everything you do is a choice and that was something that really hit me hello i am joel ingram and this is crisis to crushing in podcast let's dive into this week's talk and i'll help to increase perspective expand perception and allow you to change your reality enjoy the show so today my guest was an aerospace engineer for 13 years and for several of those years he built a photography business on the side while navigating family life he now wakes to a new reality of time with the family pursuing something he loves welcome to the show dan back thanks joe so how are you doing very uh good to be here i'm good thanks yeah yeah very well thanks okay wait so tell us a little bit what's going on in your world right now uh well currently we're um you know we're experiencing these crazy times this this lockdown at the moment so um i sort of uh, I, I have a studio as you know in every um but i i haven't been there for the last uh, i've lost track of time at three weeks i guess isn't it three or four weeks um yeah four weeks i think now so um i've been working from home um i when all that kicked off i kind of just decided to step back for a, a few minutes and and just think about things and step away from work and not try and push because it didn't feel like there was anything I could do much you know I can't go out and do photography work at the moment um so it's just a case of taking stock for a week or so really and uh, spending a bit of time with the family and having a bit of a, a think about things so yeah as we speak I'm uh, I'm basically spending my days um sort of doing doing kind of back end stuff i suppose if you like you know trying to build relationships that's my main my main thing at the moment uh, lots of work on linkedin posting to linkedin every day pretty much um having discussions with people on there you know messaging people privately on linkedin uh, what are you doing to build the relationships that um lots lots of private messaging really so i'm kind of um you know when I'm posting and, and having discussions on, on posts and things, I'm trying to message people in the private messenger, the direct messenger on LinkedIn, uh, and just, just really saying, hi, how's it going? You know, I think people want to be heard at the moment and, 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 and want that connection because that's what we're all missing. Um, so one of the first things I did when I, when I came back to work in the other week was to just go through my entire list of um, uh, of clients past present and, and hopefully future clients and just reach out to them either an email or a phone call and just say hi see how people are doing really no no expectations or anything just literally a, a sort of friendly chat so that seemed to be uh, well received so how do you balance um reaching out offering help and still making sure the bills are paid how are you managing that at the moment well at the moment, I, I I concluded that I'm not going to pay the bills at the minute. <laughs> you know, I'm not I'm not going to make income. I'm going to pay the bills, but I'm not I'm not going to be making income. You know, I, I don't feel like I don't feel like the right time to me to be going out and trying to charge people for things. You know, I can't do my core work, which is the photography and the video. So I'm not reaching out and saying, "Hey, look, I could do this for you know for fifty quid, a hundred quid," which is what I've seen a few other people doing. It doesn't feel like the right time to be doing that to me. So um, I've just been reaching out, saying hi, seeing what people are up to, just to, to gauge 
and then you know occasionally i've been saying you know if you do need the odd little bit i, I i'm happy to help as a mate you know i'm not i'm not looking to charge people at the moment and obviously i'm not going to you know do days and days of work for people for no money but if it's the odd you know if i've got a client who i don't know say they've furloughed someone in their marketing department and they just need a little bit of photoshop work doing for for an hour or something you know i'll do it that's that's the kind of approach i'm taking and you know thinking more long term i suppose that ultimately um hopefully they'll remember me when when times pick up again and uh, and they need something more substantial doing yeah i think that's the key part there it's, it's a long game isn't it yeah yeah no it's uh yeah um you, you mentioned in the the form you filled in for me as well you said that you were again on top of your social media what, what are you doing to manage your media or how do you manage your media um well it's a bit easier at the moment because um you know, got time to do it. <laughs> you know, when things get busy and I'm shooting a lot more often, um, I sometimes struggle a bit. But uh, I'm I'm pretty focused on LinkedIn at the moment, to be honest. I've, I've I've been kind of trying to build it over the last year or so, and got to the point now where I'm actually enjoying being on LinkedIn, which makes things a lot easier. Um, so it's just me managing it. Uh, I'm trying to make sure that I post every day. Um, and you know, sharing other people's posts if they if they're decent, and um, and and as I say, messaging people privately and that sort of thing. So is is that what you mean? Does that answer your question? Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, because what I when I try and manage mine, it, sometimes it can be a bit overwhelming. You're trying to get on bloody LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Okay. You know? Yeah. Well, I, I realised a long time. Well, I, I realised a while ago that you've got to pick one platform and go in on that one platform <clears throat> and that approach has really helped me um i mean that was instagram for me for a, for a while uh quite a while you know obviously as a photographer it's a great platform for that um i don't know if i ever got to the point of really enjoying instagram um i still do it but i've really moved i think my, my focus has shifted over to linkedin and it's it's better for me i've been generating inquiries through linkedin and taking that approach of, of just focusing on one platform just really simplifies things for me and uh, means that, I, yeah, I don't get stressed by thinking that I need to post to every single platform because, like you say, that just gets um, gets hectic. So my my advice to people, if I'm asked about, um, about that, is to just, yeah, pick the one platform that you think is going to be the best for you and and go all in on that. And then I think once you get that under control, you can start to bring in another one, you know. Yeah. But, but don't worry about trying to do everything. No, no that's, and that's, that's been my finding as well, like I say. Um, I'm not a fan of some platforms, but it's one, there's, there's one in particular that I do enjoy, and that's the same as you, LinkedIn. Um, yeah, yeah. It's a different type of engagement. Yeah, yeah, it is. The... Uh, it hit me actually the other day what what it is that I, I kind of prefer about it, and I think it's the fact that it's the discussion on there is generally a lot more positive than you know the likes of Facebook and things. You, you go on Facebook and there's normally someone um, complaining about something, and you know you just don't want to be, be surrounded by that, really, do you? So obviously, you know, it's not all like people pretending to be positive. It's it's just that I think the people on LinkedIn are trying to build build something you know if, you know their career or their business or, or whatever it is and they generally 
want to want to think positively and and uh, and, and push things forward. You know. Yeah. yeah. Do you, do you do all your posts up front? Uh, what do I batch them? Mm. Well, uh, no, <laughs> no, I don't. Um, I've experimented with it a bit, but I've never quite got on with it enough. I think, uh, I think you're sitting there trying to batch things. You, you kind of, it doesn't come across so real in a way. I think is what I found. Um, okay. I would do. I think where I would do it, where I'd make the distinction between where you can and can't or for me anyway is like the business page on linkedin which i haven't really got going properly my business page um it's kind of sitting there dormant i think that could probably be batched and also managed by um you know a subcontractor um whereas the personal page to me feels like it should be you know it should be um as you think of things and, uh, and that but i mean what i do is i keep a list i, I keep a list going to the side of me of LinkedIn post ideas and as an idea comes I'll jot it down and you know the next day when I need to do a post I'll, I'll have it there and ready to go. So you're acting on inspired thoughts I like that. <laughs> yeah I think generally um, it's one of those things isn't it the more you do the more ideas come to you you know probably probably the same with you with like podcasting you know I'm sure when you're interviewing people you kind of start thinking of other people you could interview or other topics you discuss it's it's like a self-perpetuating thing you just got to start oh yeah absolutely start and then just follow the curiosity i was yeah. reading um uh, the magic thinking big the other day and he was he was saying about the the brain being a idea making machine right and, uh, yeah and i've heard that before years ago and somebody said that you've got to capture every one of the ways you keep ignoring them they sort of slow down yeah yeah, you've reminded me actually for a while, a few years ago, I was carrying around a little notepad in my back pocket and just jotting ideas down whenever they came to me. And uh, yeah, I think I need to get back to that actually. It's a good thing to do. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> okay, so obviously you just didn't arrive at this point here. Like, let's go back a few years. Um, can you tell us about, you know, younger days, primary school and stuff like that? Oh, the really early days. <laughs> really early days. <laughs> Uh, back in the day um well it's funny like i i don't have one of those memories that remembers like loads of detail about past things particularly going back to to school and stuff um so i have some you know a few memories and a few general kind of thoughts but um i, I can't like necessarily recall tons of story individual stories and things um but i think yeah, I guess I think, as I said in that in in, in the form, like I, I don't remember really enjoying school. It wasn't like it's not like I, I loved going to school or anything. I generally, you know, didn't love it that much, but I kind of put up with it. Um, you know, I remember what I what I wanted to do most of the time was build my airplanes, and uh, you know, I'd be in the garage like building my aeroplanes before school and then <laughs> when I got back from school and uh, yeah doing that the whole time and then at school I've been like making paper aeroplanes and stuff like that so that was kind of more my focus um, so yeah that's that's kind of how I how I remember it I suppose I think that you know there's 
there's some, don't don't get me wrong. There's some good memories, but my general plan of building was like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to do this new thing that they're bringing out. You know, they're bringing out the new maths um, exercise books and things. I feel like I used to get the fear a bit and, um, and not want to do it. And yeah, I don't know. I, my kind of feeling is that over the years, I learned to put up with you know, things, going to school and not necessarily wanting to do it. And I feel like that carried over into my adulthood and 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 probably helped me to put up with a job that I wasn't enjoying for um, a reasonably extended period. And uh, I sometimes worry that that's the same for lots of people. It's a great reflection, Dan. <laughs> I, no, seriously, because I, I completely related to what you just said then. Right. Um, no, yeah, and I, yeah, I wonder if that's what it is because I got uh, you know my story. We've known each other for a while now, and and my my you you had thirteen years in, I had twenty plus years in, yeah, and and I just it, it boggles my mind that you can get to a certain age and think, you know what, what am I doing? <laughs> like, I, I, I wonder if is that possible, you know? Yeah. But and then no, and then from what I've learned the last few years, it's like you know. Your actions become behaviors, which become basically your life. Mm. But that's so true. I mean, what, yeah. What if? What, what if the way that we are, our coping mechanisms when we are younger to get through things, we then pull through, which would make perfect sense. Yeah, I, th I think so. And, and I mean, I remember as a kid, like thinking, why do you have to go to school when you're a kid? Like it, it doesn't. Um, doesn't make sense like why why do we have to <laughs> Who, what, who's making this kind of thing but but you do and then you you know you, you just keep doing it and keep doing it and then I th I, yeah I think eventually you get used to doing something that you don't necessarily want to do and I'm sure I could, you know there's lots of discussion around school and you know why it was how it was how it came about and the format that, it, that it's in and you know people talk about it being, you know, the, the, the current sort of format of school um, having been developed, you know, during the Industrial Revolution and it's there to create workers and blah, blah, blah. And, it, you know, you can kind of tie it all across if you want. Don't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I've noticed my, my with my children, and yours are quite young, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. So my eldest is 15, then 14, and seven. The 15-year-old hates school, like, with the passion. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> like, if he can, like, make things as awkward to not go, he will not go, and he will, like, categorically refuse to go. Yeah. Uh, and then my my daughter, who's a year younger, she, she goes, she's, like you just said that, she's, I think she's learned to cope and manage. Yeah. Um, but we're... we're I've got to be honest, we've been sowing the seeds early on about a job, what a job is. It's mm. not It's not going to work fulfilled unless, you know, because if that's not then the job, that's what you love doing. You know, I, I, I want to make sure that they're um, acutely aware of the implications of following something where it's just settling. Mm. You know, because that to me was the... When I look back, that was a slippery slope. I was settling and I was I wasn't pushing myself. I carried over many of the beliefs that from school. Like you, you, 
you mentioned planes, so for you to go into the aerospace industry seems like a natural progression. Yeah. I was, so I wanted to ask you as well, were you, were you a creative too? When I was younger? Yeah. That's a, a good question. <laughs> and the answer is probably. But I don't know that I knew it. Or It's weird, isn't it? Because, uh, you know, there's like a, there's a Picasso quote, I think, which is something like, everyone's born creative. But the uh, the trick is to hold on to it until you're an adult or something. Um, oh, okay, I like that. It. But it's something along those lines, and um, you know, I think that's true. You look at kids; they uh, they just get on with it, don't they? And they create, and they don't think about it as as a thing that's you know you're either creative or you're you're not. It's just <laughs> that's what they get on with and, and do, you know. And somehow we get it. A lot of us get it, sort of. Um, beaten out of us somehow as we grow up and I think probably I, I was if I think about it no no one's ever asked me that question before so that's a good question <laughs> but you know as I said I was wanting to build aeroplanes and things like that and, and I guess that's creating isn't it you know I, I remember wanting to be an inventor one time when I was really little you know and I was like I don't know I must have been like four or five or something I remember thinking I want to be an inventor you know <laughs> whatever yeah, that was cool. and uh, and uh, so I guess that is creative. But yeah, as I grew up and did, you know, I did like maths and physics A-level and mechanical engineering degree and stuff, you, you then start to feel like you're not a creative, I suppose. But what, it, what occurred to me is that um, even as an engineer, you're creative. You have to be creative because, you know, you're coming up with creative solutions to problems. You know, you're using... You're using um, physics and maths skills to solve those problems, but you're still having to come up with um, solutions to the problems. So I think people seeing themselves as not creative is probably not accurate. Um, so I think, yeah, I've gone through, you know, as you know, I've made like a kind of 180 degree shift really from the world of engineering to photography, um, which seemingly, you know, are very different but so I've, I've given it quite a lot of thought about the, the kind of creative side of things and I think it was it was always there and it's just a case of of letting it kind of come out a bit isn't it you know at risk of sounding a bit cliched it's um you've got to yeah I think you've got to kind of give yourself permission to be creative and go yeah I I am creative like I can you know, I used to have this thing in uni where I thought I thought I really liked engineering because there was only one answer to the to the question. You know, it was like that's the answer and that's it. And I thought, yeah, that's great. You know, it's it's really good. And what I've realised now is that I love doing the kind of work that I do because there's not one answer. <laughs> you know, there's just an opinion. Yeah. And you know, you can someone can ask you, you know, do you like how that looks? And you can say. Um, well, yeah, it's pretty good, but, you know, I'd frame it slightly differently and I'd crop it like this and maybe just bring that colour out and add a bit of contrast and that's my answer. And that's just as right as the next person who would do something completely different with that photo. <laughs> um, so I, I really like that um, that process now. I, I can think back to a time in school when I was doing my GCSEs and uh, 
I loved, I think it was the point before we, was you in school when they give you, you had to run uh, five or six GCSEs, then you had to drop one and focus down on the others? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think we had to do like, I think we did like 10 GCSEs. <laughs> All right, I'm sure my age now. <laughs> <laughs> you sure they were called GCSEs? <laughs> And uh, I, I, I loved um, uh, woodwork, sewing, cooking, and art, yeah. and, hi and history. Yeah. And, when I, and when I went to the careers advisor, uh, or sometimes speaking about what, what you want to do when you're old, particularly, and, I, and I said, well, I love this, and I love that, and I love this. And they said, well, oh, that's great. Well, you're going to be a history teacher, is it? <laughs> but imagine having that at like 13, 14 years old. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I and I and I obviously took that on because I didn't pursue any of those other things that I loved. Yeah, I yeah. then I then went very uh, right brain, you know, uh, mechanical, blah blah blah, rather than the, the more creative side that I really that is really me, you know. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I can completely relate to what you just said on that one. Uh, you probably already do a lot of creative things. I don't know, but you know, it, for those that don't it's like just you know give yourself a minute and draw a picture or something just do something even if it feels really stupid you know yeah yeah i mean we got a ton of coloring books we have um on yeah. the windowsill ready the rock when yeah we, if, when we actually get five minutes this is done good but oh, thing is, yeah. um, the thing is like you need creativity um you know we need creativity in the world to even people to start businesses and things that's a creative process isn't it? You know, and I don't know if you know Chase Jarvis. He talks about this a lot. I think he's got a whole book around it and everything. But um, um, you know, the fact that yeah, creativity is probably like the, the the kind of currency or the skill of the future, really, because it's you know that's what the, the robots and AI and everything won't be able to do. Um, that's, that, that's what's needed, isn't it? You know, I, I was thinking back to. You know, the engineering companies that I've worked in and, and probably the ones that you've worked in as well, they, they were started by someone whenever it was, you know, 80, 100 years ago or something. But that was an act of creativity. You know, that person said, oh, right, you know, we need some landing gear. This aeroplane needs some wheels. I'm going to design the wheels and work out how to make it. That's a creative act, isn't it? And now we've got an engineering company 100 years later that people consider to be full of people who are not creative and it's just not true <laughs> yeah so it's all about perspective yeah yeah i think so cool okay um what else do i want to ask you was one of the questions i asked you was uh recall when you were younger what lessons do you think took you longest to learn do you remember what you said it took me longest to learn yeah. oh yeah i think i said about um being myself Following my own path and not trying to fit in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> can you can you recall a time when you realised that you were trying to fit in? Um, probably in quite recent history, <laughs> I'd imagine. Uh, I think in you know in the past I didn't realise that that's what I was doing, but it probably ties in with the, what we were just talking about with school and, um, and putting up with things. You know, it's it's trying to fit in with with everyone and not. Yeah, not following your own path, and I, I mean, you know, there's there's plenty of people that are great at that when they're younger. 
but for me I don't think I was that good at it I think I did try to fit in with things and groups and people that weren't necessarily me you know yeah I can relate okay mate. um so fast forward a few years now to a time of great change what stories and emotions is that about for you so yeah I guess the the greatest change well there's been quite a lot of change in, in recent years but I suppose the greatest change career-wise is um yeah is building the photography business and then being able to get out of the engineering job and, and do this full-time um, how did you how did that you discover that you went you path uh okay so when i met my wife in 2010 end of 2010 um she had a, a women's clothes shop at the time a little boutique and that she'd been running for a couple of years um and as you know as we sort of you know got, got together and then got married we got married quite quickly and everything um and i started getting a little bit more involved in that um at one stage we decided we'd have a website built because we thought you know we're suddenly going to go and sell loads online um if we have a website everyone will find us and uh, we'll be able to sell things and i decided that i'd buy a camera and do all the product photography for the website for some reason <laughs> so there must have been something inside of me that had always fancied the idea um so i went and, and bought a second-hand camera um we had a friend who was a photographer and she came and helped us you know get set up i i learned what i could i read a book about photography like you know cover to cover and uh and and, and did the product photography and i started really enjoying it and enjoying taking pictures and things and um not long after that it was less than a year after that we actually closed the shop down completely um we were struggling financially um we had a young baby and you know there's only so much that i could do to actually help in a women's clothes boutique so it really needed all the input from my wife um and, and her focus had shifted you know onto the baby and everything so I mean, prior to that, I, I quit my engineering job and we went and moved in with the in-laws um, for a few months to cut all our costs right down and just see if we could recover things. But ultimately, it was it was kind of too far gone. It was struggling too much and we took the decision to close it down, um, you know, which was at the time, you know, pretty sad and, and a difficult decision to make and, and felt like a failure. But, you know, as you know, failures you, you learn from your failures and, uh, and move forward so yeah so i picked up a camera um and and literally just after we closed the shop um my wife was in uh like we've got a really nice wine shop in town uh here in Ledbury, and she was in there and they, they were having a website built and the lady that we, we kind of knew from you know being in the town said oh yeah i've got to take all these photos and i've got no idea where to start and uh, my wife said, oh, Dan, I'm sure Dan will come and have a go for you. <laughs> so uh, I said, yeah, okay, let's, let's do it. You know, no pressure on it at all. I, I went and had a go. I researched it before how to, how to do it. And I got reasonable results from it. You know, they were good enough at the time. Um, came up with a, a bit of a price. You know, it wasn't very much. It was a very modest price for uh, what I was doing. And, uh, and earned a bit of money from photography. I was like... Oh, that's, that's interesting. 
I can learn from photography. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so from there I, I just started, I, I'd gone back to my engineering job at this point because uh, we had a lot of debt left over from the shop. Um, we had like £90,000 of debt left over, so we had to get our costs down, uh, moved into a small small place which we're, we're still currently in <laughs> seven ten years no seven years later um although we're, we're, we've got a really nice opportunity to get out so um yeah cut our cost down went back to the engineering job you know hammering the hours as a contractor like you do and um and to get all that debt paid off um but at the same time i was learning as much as i could about photography you know i was i was listening to podcasts in the car on the way in way out and um as you know on coffee breaks and things i'd be on my phone like reading through tutorials and that sort of thing and um just trying to learn what i could um i didn't earn any more you know, i didn't pick up any more clients for a long time but um it sort of gradually built and built you know it'd be a difficult path when you're trying to build something on the side and, it, and it's probably fraught with ups and downs how did you how did you navigate the how did you navigate those sorts of times and emotions um probably at times better than others <laughs> i suppose you know there's like as time went on um so as you, as you know in aerospace you, you tend to have friday afternoons off don't you and uh i always knew that i i've known for a long time that i wanted to get out of engineering i just didn't know what i wanted to do and actually even when i had the, that small amount of paid work i wasn't sure if it was photography but at one stage, I read a book called um, Screw Work, Let's Play by John Williams. And uh, that's all about, you know, creating a side job and doing something that you love and, and getting out of, you know, jobs that you, you hate. So I read that and part of that, he, he recommends giving yourself a bit of play time in the, uh, in, in the week. Um, so I, I told my wife about this and she very kindly offered to, sort of vacate the house with the kids on a Friday afternoon and just give me some time to just experiment. You know, I did a bit of like designing little bits and having them 3D printed. And I did some of these exercises in the book that he talks about, like, for example, if you had a year off and money was no issue, what would you do? You kind of list out all the things that you'd do and do that a few times. And I started to realize that, yeah, I probably would do photography because I was really enjoying it at the time. And so, that kind of gave me impetus to, to keep trying. Um, but yeah, in terms of the ups and downs, you know, like as it built, I, I suppose the early days were more like frustration. <laughs> like, ah, well, you know, gotta, gotta pay off this debt, but you know, I really want to get out of this job and oh, I've got to do it. But you know, so you, you put energy into doing it and everything and, and doing what you have to do. And then as it kind of built a little bit, and I got a bit busier, I then find myself, you know, working those Friday afternoons, working evenings, and then, you know, maybe working on Saturday as well. And you start thinking, geez, I'm not seeing the family at all here, you know, <laughs> getting up really early, going to work, coming back, you know, not that long before their bedtime, and not seeing me when you start thinking, well, you know, is this really the right thing? Should I just, like, sit back, get a job, you know, be able to see the family and everything, and you know, and, and work to retirement, whatever. But I suppose the thing that swung it for me was, you, you know, a lot of people think I'm doing this job that I hate 
for the family and then you know that's why I'm doing it and putting up with it but I think what swung it for me was actually that's not a very good role role model and a very good example and actually the example should be I'm making a change here and I'm I'm you know changing to do something that I love so that I can you know have a life that, that we all enjoy and so yeah it's it's sort of reframing that sacrifice in your your mind isn't it and putting up with stuff for putting up with that sacrifice for for a while um in order to make a change i think sometimes we can frame things as um especially like i'm doing this for the family if we don't do it for the family we're being selfish yeah you know and that's got massive connotations from your childhood and all sorts of different things and then way that we can be our best selves, but this is what from what I've learned, is to actually, you know, acknowledge that we have to look after ourselves first, which means, you know, make sure we are fulfilled, we are happy and healthy, so that we can show up fully for the others we love. Yeah. So I bet if you asked your your um your wife and your kids, are you different now to when you was doing <laughs> the engineering? I bet they say there's a shift in you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard that from other people as well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, have you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so Colin, let's dig into this one. What's, what's, what's the difference in Dan since he's um, well, designed no, his own life? Well, no, someone just said to me once, like, um, yeah, like, the, they, well, they were talking to someone else, but kind of in a way that I, you know, they, they knew that I could overhear kind of thing. They were sort of looking at me at the same time and said something like, you know, the, the biggest, the, the great, the, the best thing uh, about Dan is that these days he's a lot happier, you know. So, Pretty simple. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, what, what a you know, what a fantastic place to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And I mean, but but the other thing is, I don't want to like make it all seem like it's all roses and uh, and great either, because you know, even now I'm you know I'm only uh, what nineteen twenty months or something into going full time, and you know it's still very difficult. You know, we you know the, the income's not quite there where I want it to be to be comfortable. You know. I've, kept our heads above water and everything which is great and i'm you know really grateful for that uh that achievement but um you know it's not quite where i want to be in terms of being being comfortable and not not stressing about it and i'm still you know it still worries me money issues and still working long hours from time to time but i get the chance to choose if i want to come home for lunch or something or choose if i want to you know, go in a bit later or come home a bit earlier or something, you know, that's the difference. Something you mentioned just now when you said that the, that opportunity came up with the, the restaurant to take pictures, that, that's because you let go of something else. Yeah, 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 the wine shop, yeah, it was, um, yeah, definitely, I think that's a, a, a very good observation. <laughs> so, so, and I think sometimes in life, this is, I mean, I've, I've seen this and understand for myself where sometimes we hold on to things so tight oh sorry yeah. I'm gonna say sometimes we, I've seen this myself where we hold on to something that we feel we should be doing so tight and for me that was my role being able to earn it over time bring in extra money but I found that it took a, it took a long time for me to get to the pain point where I thought I can't do this anymore it's, it's crushing me I yeah. need different and then I sat the family down and took them through what my plans were, like literally my wife first, then everybody together to say, look, this is the implications of this move. Yeah. However, however, I, I'll be home every evening 
and every weekend. Do you know what I mean? Then versus working a modified double day shift and working one weekend in three. Yeah, yeah. You know, and to have the overtime removed from my life sounds like if if you're if you're on the wheel and you constantly need to make that money to pay for the things you want or having, um, it was like a, a, a massive weight had been lifted from me because I, I no longer had to worry about it. I was taken out of the equation completely. Yeah, yeah. You know? Um, so sometimes I think if we can understand what we're holding on to, so to restart, rip a little bit, and let other good things come. So yeah. We can, you know, so, so we can move forward, you know? Yeah, yeah, and you're absolutely right. You know, yeah, we let go of the shop and, and it felt like a, a sad decision and like we failed and everything, but immediately this opportunity opened. You know, it was literally like the next month or something, I think, after we closed the shop. Yeah. Um, which started a whole new chapter. So, yeah, and it's that idea of sunk costs, isn't it? You know, that Seth Godin talks about and, and, and letting go of those sunk costs and not thinking, well, I... You know, I've, I've put my whole life into this uh, engineering career and everything, and I've studied for it and spent a lot of money and time and everything. You know, I'm silly to give that up, but actually, you know, you've got to look forward instead of backwards, haven't you? And and, and think about where you want to be, not not thinking I'm, I just need to carry on being where I've been the whole time, even though it's not making me happy. It doesn't make sense. Do you do you think there's any area? For you right now, where you're still holding on to something that is maybe stopping the next thing or uh, stopping the next thing coming in? Good question. Good question. Um, Doesn't just have to be job related. Maybe you know. No, no, that's a good. That's a good challenging question. Uh, the first thing that comes to mind, I think, with that is probably more to do with mindset than okay. an actual like thing that I'm doing. Um, and, and maybe it's all connected, but I think in terms of like money mindset, maybe, and kind of um, the feeling that you get ingrained with, you know, when you when you're doing a job that you go to work for, you know, a day and you earn a day's wages, and that kind of puts a ceiling on on what you can earn. Um, I suppose trying to shift from that mindset has has been quite tricky and also the feeling that letting go of the feeling that if you're not at work you're not earning money kind of thing you know because that's the other thing isn't it you know especially as a, a contractor it's like if you're not sat at your desk you're not you're not earning money and it's getting out of that kind of hourly paid mentality and, and shifting it into well actually I did I may have only done two hours this morning but they were like you know really the, the the power of what I've done in those two hours could potentially earn a lot more money and is a lot more far reaching than just two hours pay, you know. Yeah, uh, I mean I think you're right. I think we because we, we uh, you had thirteen years and I was twenty years and it's you become institutionalized. Yeah. Yeah yeah degree. And you sort of and without realizing then you then have a glass ceiling put above you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah completely yeah, related to that. We, You've had someone else determining what you can earn for that long, I suppose, haven't you? Yeah, you know, well, basically, they determined your worth. Yeah, yeah, that you've got someone that says, "Okay, yeah, you've done a good job. We're going to give you a, you know, three percent pay rise or something." <laughs> and you're like, "Okay, that's that's what I'm worth now." Yeah, you're right. It does determine your worth, but 
yeah so it's getting it, it's shifting mindset um probably not exactly quite what you meant but it's the first thing that came to mind i think that's um, the that's the first it. thing me and like like the last year we picked up with a lady the name marina rose uh i call it she's like a manifestation coach she's right. so much she's so much more uh and the first thing we nailed into was the money mindset yeah <laughs> yeah and and it's been fascinating like because I've resisted budgeting and money for like two or three years. Like, um, you know, using Vincent's group. And before that, I was communicating with like, um, uh, but anyway, multiple financial advisors along the trip that never actually acted until I met Nick, Nick Alkins. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then from Nick Alkins, then it sort of butted along quietly in the background. But then it, it all came into focus with the task we had to do. And uh, like we've actually got money going away. Nothing's, I, I've, I've taken a massive hit with a job, my job, <laughs> and I'm more financially able now than I have been in the last 25 years. Well, <laughs> and I've been, and we've invested. I don't know what we've done. Probably about, I don't know, about three thousand probably in self development last year. All right. Yeah. Well, how does that? How does that work? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? It's, it's crazy, you know, and that's not to brag. It's just like it blows my head yeah. that I can some meet somebody that can shift my mindset in such a way. Yeah, we, yeah. we've now got many parts of me able to invest in ourselves. It's, it's nuts, nuts. Have you, um, have you read the book The Richest Man in Babylon? Love that book. Yeah. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Isn't it? <laughs> and it's and it's I suppose there's aspects of that book in her teachings. Yeah. So, uh, it's cool though. Okay. Um, right. So you mentioned that you had a big change um, from aircraft engineer to um, photography. And when I asked you what lesson you were gifted, you said personal responsibility. Can you tell me a little more about that? Um, yeah, I think that it was probably something that I didn't understand for a long time and um, actually it was it was a training course I went on uh, while I was at Airbus and um, I didn't know what the training course really was about you know you, you have to go on these training courses don't you and uh, I kind of thought I'd heard it was quite good and went along and it kind of really I mean it wasn't it wasn't just that because it was it was my wife uh, as well that um, helped me realize all this stuff but that course was based around uh, the book um, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Mm. And in that, it talks about you know, personal responsibility and, and your ability to choose and how everything you do is a choice. And that was something that really hit me, I think, and, and made quite a big impact. So really grateful for Airbus to, for sending me on that course, which uh, was literally about a month before I left. But um, um before i actually went contracting a, a, another company so it wasn't it wasn't just before i left to go and do the photography this was this was a while ago this was back in uh what would that have been 2011 maybe yeah probably 2011 2012 yeah beginning of 2012 i think so so how long was that was that seed soaking yeah how long was that seed soaking what do you mean well obviously that that Awareness of a choice um, was obviously germinating quietly in the background. Yeah, before, yeah. Before you actually picked up a camera. 
Yeah, yeah, I think it was. Yeah, so um, I mean, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't long after when I picked up the camera, but I think that that idea of of, of choice and everything and, and how we choose things has been has helped me at various times. You know, like yeah, like when I went back to the engineering job and um, you know we needed to, to pay off the debt and everything. Um, you know, don't get me wrong, I I I really didn't want to do it. You know, I didn't enjoy work really um at all i just made myself do it and i could luckily i've been trained to <laughs> do things to a high standard uh, even when you don't want to do them i guess um produce work to a good standard so i could do it but i didn't really want to do it but realizing that i had that choice that i was making the choice to go in and do that every day really helped me at some points you know um just to think i'm making this choice to go and do this work because I want to earn the money to, to, to get us out of this situation and everything. Um, out of curiosity, how old would you have been in 2011? 2011, I would have been nine years younger than I am now, so 20, uh, 29. Okay, okay. <laughs> so what, I, what, I'm, what I've become aware of is I didn't become aware of a choice until I was 40. Right, yeah. You know? Forty-one, yeah. forty-two. So, and, and and I think that actually probably leads into what you said in the beginning, where we sort of manage and manage our states in in the younger years, because the choice is removed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, it's something I've batted back and forth with different guests. Like, it, how how can anybody get to like? How, how do some people fly like early on? So they've obviously got an awareness of choice, and then some people don't. What's what's the difference yeah. between those people? You know, and that, that yeah. fascinates how, how even how that can even be. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The only thing I can think of maybe is maybe is the like that Jim Rohn quote: "You either fight people you surround yourself with." Yeah, and I just wonder, you know, are the ones that fly are they in a different environment where they're with maybe people that are discussing choices and weird of other things, you know, which initially comes back then probably to, um, you know, society, schooling, your family, social circles. Mm. Well, most of our social structure is, is sorted by the time we're seven, which is crazy then, yeah. you think. You know, that carries forward a long time. If, if you don't get no one is comes, you know, comes across you when you're ready to then sort of help you get a little bit Awoken, yeah, yeah. degree. Cool. Okay, mate. So another thing you said, I asked you, tell me a story about something that has amazed you. Do you remember what you said? No, I can't actually. <laughs> the power of niche. The power of niching. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I got a question. Then isn't niching painful? Uh, yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> okay. Uh, you, I, I, are you asking me that because of the fact that to niche it means that you potentially miss out on a huge part of the market? Yeah, okay. it is, yeah. and that's why it's taken me so long to do it because I didn't, I didn't realise that it's actually better. <laughs> um, and it's how, how have you done that then? 
Uh, okay, so yeah, this is probably an interesting point actually that I I, I thought of earlier wanted to mention um, is that what I've done is I've I've sort of started to niche myself towards industrial photography over the last 12, 14 months or so, I suppose. Um, and that actually brings into play my, my past experience in engineering uh, and gives me what I'm calling an unfair advantage over the next photographer down the road who doesn't have that engineering background. Because when I go into an engineering place, I can talk to them on a kind of, you know, almost the same, the same sort of level and understand what they're, what they're doing and the products and services they're providing. And, um, uh, uh, and I think get better pictures as a result because I understand what I'm doing. So it's kind of an unfair advantage. It's not really unfair, but it's kind of an unfair advantage over the, the next photographer. But, you know, the other photographer has got an unfair advantage over me in certain situations because they've maybe got a background in fashion or something. And so when they get someone that comes along um, wanting some fashion photography, they're the person for it. And I'm clearly not, you know. So, sorry, I've gone off on a bit of a tangent. But, oh, that's good. So, but yeah. how, how did you manage to blend those two then? I mean, what was the, what's the process that helps you? Because I meet a lot of people that they've got a niche down and they, they've got that exact mindset, but that means less people, not more. But that doesn't mean you turn away the others that ask you for your services. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's what I've come to realise um, over the last year or so is that you still get inquiries for other types of work. But... It, it also doesn't really matter that you're not getting inquiries for every type of work because suddenly you mean, you know, your services are much more relevant to a smaller group of people, meaning that that group of people are much, much more likely to book you because you're so much more relevant to them. Mm. And, you know, again, like going back to Seth Godin thing, the sort of minimum viable audience principle says that you don't actually need a huge audience. I don't need to appeal to every business in the county to have a successful business I only need to appeal to you know a really small fraction of those businesses in order to, to have a successful business so niching your services and your, your, your marketing um, just just means that they're a lot more likely to, to book you when you do come into contact with them so have you done any work have you ever heard of um, Michael Porter book yourself space yeah, yeah, yeah. I've read a bit of it. I unfortunately haven't finished it, but he he, he talks about this red velvet rope policy where yeah, yeah, you, yeah. your clients fill you as much as they allow you to do your best work, as in you're engaged, enthusiastic when you're on the call. But they also fill you because the greedies and problems they've got, you you know you can you're sort of slightly stretched, mm. but you're not overreaching. Mm. How did you get to that point where? He was able to put photography and industrial together. What's the what was the point when you thought, "Hang on a minute, this is a no-brainer." <laughs> well, yeah, it's a funny one because uh, my uncle, who's he's very thoughtful, and uh, you know, he said to me like about five years ago, he said, "Is there a way that you could combine, you know, your engineering with the photography?" And I was like, "I don't know, I'm not sure really." And I was thinking at the time, I was thinking, "Oh, I could go in and." you know, take macro shots of a fractured component or something to help them. You know, that was as far as I got with it. But a few years later, uh, I can't remember when it was exactly. It probably would have been a couple of years ago, maybe. I just put out this post on LinkedIn 
um, one day at work when I was a bit bored, and I just said, I said something like, um, "What what challenges have you faced uh, when commissioning photography?" I didn't have many LinkedIn followers at the time, but one of them, who I didn't know, just randomly responded to my post and said, oh, we've always struggled um, when we've been commissioning photography for uh, sort of engineering type applications because the photographers just haven't really understood the product that they're photographing. And so the, the photos haven't come out properly. They haven't really, you know, got to grips with it. So I was like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> I might be able to help there, and um, yeah, that's where that's where it originated from, really. Um, and I thought, okay, I can, I can, you know, maybe there's something I can do here. And because I'm like, I, I generally try and <laughs> like, I, I generally try and do something the opposite way to the way anyone else does it to start with. For some reason. Um, I started experimenting with calling myself like a technical photographer or a, um, well, sort of like an engineering photographer and all these terms which didn't really make sense. And then I thought, okay, industrial photography is a, an actual term. Let's, let's maybe go with that. <laughs> and I might get found a bit more easily. Um, so I experimented with it a bit uh, on my LinkedIn, really. I sort, of, I sort of tailored my LinkedIn profile to say that's what I did. And everything, and and it was a bit cheeky because I didn't really have the, um, the the portfolio to back it up at the time. I had a few shots that I could kind of squeeze into that niche, but it wasn't quite right. I didn't quite feel right saying that was my specialism because at the time it wasn't. Um, so at the beginning of only last year, yeah, twenty nineteen. Uh, as as you know, I've I've got my coach. You know, I've got a uh, I have coaching calls with uh, Vincent Puglisi, and he said to me, "Like, you know, you need to, you need to like choose one thing and go with." Uh, probably said that to you a couple of times <laughs> at various points. Um, he said, "You need to choose one thing," and I said, and, and we kind of spoke about it. And I said, "Right, okay, I'm gonna." We decided I'd go for headshots at the time because it seemed like a a good thing to go for. You know, I think particularly in the states, it's like. It's a really well paid, you know, you can charge a lot for headshots over there. I don't think we're quite there yet over here. And I said, okay, I'm going to give this a go. And I, so I called myself the headshot photographer. I, I built some portfolios, you know, um, doing yeah, some, head, some headshot sessions in the studio. Sorry? I said, yeah, we've been there. Totally recommended. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and I enjoyed it, but, um, and, and I, I saw the power of, of niching and specializing just in, in a couple of months doing that. It was like suddenly people were coming to me going, oh, yeah, you're the guy that does the headshots, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to need some headshots at some point. And I was like, the studio's set up for headshots and I don't have to keep um, taking down the setup all the time and, and, and changing it and everything. Um, and I, I was like, wow, this is amazing. You know, I only need one set of stuff, only one lens, one camera. Um, there's a real power to this, um, but after after a couple of months or so of, of going down that route, I kind of thought, although I'm enjoying this and I, and I still love doing headshot sessions and stuff, I was like, I don't quite want to do that all day every day. It's going to become a job. Mm. Um, so I went back to the industrial thing, and, and during that time, funnily enough, I'd been commissioned to go and do some industrial photography um, based on my previous LinkedIn work that I'd been doing. 
someone randomly came back to me, which was great. Um, I went into that, and so then I had some portfolio available, um, and I thought, right, right okay, I'm going to start heading towards the industrial thing. But I was scared of dropping everything from my website and my offering, you know, and losing all those potential clients. And it's taken me quite a long time to actually come around to niching things. And now my website's a lot more heavily focused on the industrial um, because it's it's really begun to work. I think I'm probably happy with the way I've done it. You know, I could have just cut, you know, almost a year ago and said, right, it's all industrial and just put that on my website. But I've I've done it as a gradual process intentionally because I didn't want to lose on, on the other work because, you know, suddenly my, you know, my, my income is dependent on it completely. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, but now I've got to the point where it's 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 pretty much all I'm all I'm pushing really, you know, in terms of my, my marketing outreach anyway. Fantastic. Um, so, I'm starting to I'm seeing the effects of it working, you know, doing this now as well. You know, I'm getting great inquiries that are industrial focused. Um and uh, yeah, it's really, really having having effect. I see the riches are in the niches. Exactly, said, exactly. But I don't yeah. know. It's not spelt the same though. Rich and niche is not said that way for people. No, it's, no, it's, no. It's niche. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. Uh, but yeah, otherwise it's a great saying. But yeah, it's yeah. true. And you know, there's there's loads of advantages to being being a specialist and having a niche. I think, and it's something I'm gonna I'm gonna write a lot more about. I think in the in the coming months and years. Okay, Dan. A final question. Yeah. Look at looking into the future. What could be the yeah. scariest and most exciting thing for you to be experiencing? <laughs> yeah, I remember what I, I, I put on this. It's not, I suppose in some respects it is scary going back to money mindset that we talked about, but the, the greatest thing I think I could imagine, you know, in a few years' time would just be getting to the point where we've got financial freedom and, you know, things are things are running smoothly and, and, and we're not worrying about money and having to you know work to such a tight budget i think you always have to budget because no matter how much money you have but being able to just release things a little bit and 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 go on some holidays and you know do a few more things would be uh would be fantastic i hear what you're saying uh and finally where can our audience find you and on what platforms yeah sure so on my website it's uh, dan barker studios dot com um i've got a little download because I, I did a talk for photography degree students at hereford the other week um I, I made a little download called like things i've learned in business so far happy to make that available for for your people if you like as your listeners if you like um oh, nice one, Dan. Thank you. i do i haven't done it yet but i'll do it by the time you release this i'll, I'll do dunbuckstudios.com forward slash joel and they can go on there and, and get that little download. Um, but otherwise, yeah, LinkedIn, uh, if you search Dan Barker on there, I'll come up. I'm on Instagram as Dan Barker Studios. Um, those, those are the main areas, really. Uh, or, or email me, dan at danbarkerstudios.com. Okay, mate, well, I'm going to have all your links on there anyway. Um, I just want to thank you for today coming on and sharing your journey with us. It's uh, been open and honest, and, and it's refreshing to have conversations like this. This is what this is what fills me these conversations and uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. get to leverage your learnings over life into into 
we don't actually know how many people at the time this is, uh, you know, over the years this will impact. So that's the exciting thing as well. Yeah, um, cool, guys, it? it is, yeah, it, that, and it's fantastic. The fact, you know, this modality is brilliant, you know. Yeah, yeah. no, thanks. It's been uh, been thought provoking for me as well. Some great questions. Glad you enjoyed it, Dan. Yeah, I um, enjoyed watching what you're doing as well, and watching your, uh, you know, your direction and your family and everything. It's cool. Cheers, Dan. Um, guys, go and check him out. He's got a, I think he's got, if you subscribe to his newsletter, I think you've got a business uh, networking group. Uh, yep. I think you've got a book club review as well. Yeah, we did that as part of the, the networking group. So, yeah, that was a physical meetup. Currently, it's a virtual meetup. So, we'll see what happens with that. And there's all sorts of other good stuff in there as well, um, especially in the current situation when we're all on Zoom um, and poor lighting, like myself today. Uh, <laughs> but I, I just learned something today, so that's fantastic. Uh, so, go check him out, danbarkerstudios.com. And uh, Dan, thanks very much for coming. Pleasure. Thank you for listening today. I hope you enjoyed it. My name is Joel Ingram and I am a certified NLP coach. I help passionate, resourceful and professional people who feel stuck and unfulfilled with aspects of life to rewrite their narrative and chronicle a new, engaging and captivating future. Please subscribe if you found benefit.